Hello, this is Samuel Hansen, and you are listening to Combinations and Permutations, Episode 5. On this week's episode, we have the Newton-Leibniz cage match, Nathan's naked run, the stepped reckoner versus the difference engine, and undercover Newton. Here it goes. Hello and welcome to Combinations and Permutations, the kind of sort of math podcast that comes to you from the Sedril... Sedril? Can I not fucking talk? From CDC Building 7's mailroom. And with me today, I have three returning guests who we'll introduce later. And one completely new guest who rounds out uh, the last person in Office 724, right? And that is Nicholas Rennie, the man who has a disjoint set with his own brain. Glad to be here. I don't get it. (laughs) And that voice, that voice is, as everyone I am sure knows, uh, Nathan Rowe. I got, I I got nothing. I get it. But the disjoint set with his own brain. What's a set? Yeah, that's a... (laughs) Okay, so you've also heard the other voices. The uh, man whose Jar Jar Binks impression makes Jar Jar Binks actually funnier. Christopher Bates. Episode 5, The Revenge of Jar Jar Binks. That would have been a such better movie. And that voice, Anthony Solari. The uh, man who still to date has absolutely no superpowers. I'm still trying to figure out the joke. I don't disjoint Disjoint. brain. Does he have MPD? His brain and himself have no intersection. He has no... Did you guys actually disjoint. forget what disjoint meant? I just maybe I well, wasn't. We were trying to how exactly did you set? word it? Yeah, it, his the man who has... has a disjoint set with his own brain, who is disjoint. Yeah. Okay. So, so brain. one, it wasn't ever actually supposed to be funny. All right. Well, let's see. And Why? two, I worded it poorly and made it even less funny. Also uncomprehendable. Okay. I understood it. <laughs> okay, so even though we've been talking about sets so far today, that is not our topic. Our topic for this week is Newton versus Leibniz, the oh, cage okay. match to settle the calculus. So it's a differential cage match. So me and Nick are quite curious. Why is it that you hate Leibniz? Or no, not no, Leibniz? No. I, Leibniz. I, I, like Leibniz? I like Leibniz. Newton is a fucking prick. Okay, you have to explain. He's a prick. He was an alchemist. For God's sake, he honestly believed that he could create the Philosopher's Stone. I mean, he actually... What? There were no chemists back then. That's that was chemistry for that. Time. For someone who was so smart, he should have been able to realize that you can't trans transmute lead into gold, and you also can't create a fucking substance that will make you live forever. Oh, and he also was an apocalyptist. Uh, by his own mathematical reckoning, the world cannot go on past 2060. 
That, that's it? That's his, uh, that's his year? Yeah. 2060. Well, no, it will end before that. Oh. He was a mathematician to the end in many ways. He didn't say this is for sure. He said that all of the existence of the Earth will be a subset of all of the possible existence of the Earth up till 2060. He, I, set theory hmm, was invented a hundred years later. The first time, the first time a set of points was even taken in a mathematical paper was like. 18. I didn't mean that he actually said that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, for Christ's sake, you have to take me fucking literally. Okay, and <laughs> and and one of the other reasons, honestly, everyone listening and by the way thank you everyone who has downloaded this week we cracked 500 total downloads and our blog got a hit from every single inhabited continent so thank you very much for that we really enjoy it and now start actually communicating with us now that you're listening to us combinations of permutations at gmail.com but one of the main reasons and one of the reasons i've really disliked newton for as long as i have is that honestly yeah, he probably developed a couple of the ideas of the calculus technically before Leibniz, but they developed them independently within a couple of years of one another. But all of the notation that we use is Leibnizian. And if That's you true. ask any normal person, by normal person I mean anyone who is not a scientist or a mathematician. Scientists like it. Mathematicians like it. No, 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 well, no, no. He, he, he's getting just, that. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm getting to this. That <laughs> if you ask them who invented calculus... And they know the answer. They'll say Isaac Newton. Yeah. Mm. They will never even mention the fact that Gottfried Wilhelm Leibniz developed it independently at the same time in a way, or at least in his development, created something that we could actually use. Because have you ever tried to read anything that Newton ever wrote? Yeah, it was very geometric, wasn't it? Well, I mean, I'm not even... Notation-wise, it was a lot more difficult, yeah. I'm not even talking about that. I mean, just in general, his shit is really hard to parse. I mean, most of his writings, not just his mathematical writings. I haven't read any of his... What, did, what else did he write? Theology? Uh, well, he, he actually wrote more theology than he did on science. He wrote more on theology than he did on science, period. Yeah. But he also did work in optics, gravitation, celestial right. mechanics. I was about to say, you're referring to science? Or... Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, calculus and science, he's... Back, back then, mathematics was, was directly... that Physics and mathematics were the same thing. So all of his math papers were... Uh, applied immediately to physics problems. I mean, it, it, they they arose in the context of physics. They were solved in the context of physics. Yeah. So so they were all they were all. Um, I don't know. There's there's that's not there was no difference between physics and mathematics during those years. That's why. Well, I mean, they were still doing theoretical work in math. At right. That point. There was some number theory, but calculus especially. Well, yeah, but I'm I'm saying that he wrote on other things. But I mean, his celestial mechanics work, he did some of that, and he definitely did some of his optic works before he ever developed the idea of a fluxion, which is his idea of. I mean, his was not. He wasn't even really called the calculus at that point. I mean, the, he called it the what physics of flux, fluxion or something like that. In other words, the physics of change, which is, I mean, very much what calculus is. Yeah. But I don't know. For me, a lot, a lot of it has to do with this inability to give credit where credit is due to Leibniz. Because for a huge amount of time, I didn't even know who Leibniz was. 
I mean, I, even after I had studied some calculus, it was only through reading on my own separately from book learning that allowed me to find out anything about this man. Well, it sounds like a failure on the part of historians, especially mathematical historians. I, I, I don't even know if it's a failure so much as purposeful in some ways. I mean, because I mean, we, we are all from the United States. Well, at least we all live here. I'm assuming that we're all <laughs> from here, except for uh, Chris, who's obviously an illegal alien. Not dude, the earth. dude, Gunkins <laughs> are not born in the United States. Chris is actually a uh, full-blooded Mexican. As uh, everyone knows from looking at his pictures, very, very Latin, has a certain Latin flair about him. Looks almost like Jimmy Smith's. Thank you. <laughs> he was uh, also in Star Wars. Oh, shit. He was. <laughs> Fucking Bail Organa. Uh, but with. Uh, but there was, there was uh, definitely a certain amount of British chauvinism around the time when it happened and also by the time Leibniz died he was out of favor with the court in Hanover and so he kind of got shoved to the back room of history for a while one because he had fallen out of you know honor with the people who wrote the books at that point as well as the fact and... that the British uh, were incredibly set on declaring Newton the inventor of the calculus by himself and as i said we're from the united states we're heavily influenced historically in our academic thought by the Brit british british yeah. i mean mm -hmm. especially at that point i mean that was uh, late 1600s early 1700s so i mean at that point literally all of our thinkers were either going over there to study or the thinkers that we had here had come from britain over here and there was even a uh, something that the Royal Society of England put out uh, that declared Leibniz to be a plagiar. Oh, good. Uh, and to have, uh, what, completely stolen the calculus. As a matter of fact, if you go on the Wikipedia... Oh, somebody has done more research than us. <laughs> Dude, just because I printed off a lot of pieces of paper doesn't mean I actually did any research. He's got like 50 pieces of paper. Uh, but there's a section from uh, Isaac Newton's uh, entry on the Wikipedia that says, starting in 1699, other members of the Royal Society accused Leibniz of plagiarism, and after the dispute broke out in full force in 1711, Newton's Royal Society proclaimed in a study that it was Newton who was the true discovery and labeled Leibniz a fraud. The study was cast into doubt when it was later found that Newton himself wrote the study's concluding remarks on Leibniz. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, that definitely makes Newton look like an asshole, for sure. And Newton kind of was an asshole. One of his, one of his, uh, you know, his, his really famous quotes is, uh, if I have seen farther, it's because I stood on the shoulder of giants. Yeah. Right? The the context of that quote, he was talking to, he, he was saying this in a letter to someone, calling them an idiot, saying, your optics is wrong. Um, and he was also cracking a little joke because the guy uh, he was talking to is really short. <laughs> so it was a short joke and, uh, you know, letting him know that i'm right and you're wrong and i i think that newton was right in this case oh, his, his optics were pretty accurate well i mean he has actually been labeled in surveys of scientists to be the most influential scientist of all time 
As a matter of fact, in a survey, I think it was done, it was done a while ago. It may have been the 30s, may have been the 70s, but somewhere in there, he was actually declared the second most influential person of all time, right behind Muhammad, oh. but ahead of Jesus. Ahead of Jesus <laughs> and Shakespeare. Yeah. Well, I, he definitely influenced the world more than Shakespeare. Well, I mean, thanks to Newton, though. I mean, well, they had crosses before Newton, but Newton helped them make the crosses better, you know? <laughs> Stronger, you know? Stronger, I mean, if Jesus had weighed, faster. like, 500 pounds, there's no way. <laughs> I mean, they, I mean, maybe double crosses or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't know how much. Now we can crucify 600-pound men, all because of Newton. <laughs> I can't wait to test it. <laughs> oh. Well, we can just be glad he wasn't around back then. I mean, <laughs> him and Archimedes would have gotten together and all hell would have <laughs> broken loose. But one of the funny things about both of them, though, I mean, about both of their work on the calculus, neither of them published anything that would have stood up to rigor. Right. Yeah. And much unlike the calculus Archimedes developed <laughs> two thousand years before. <laughs> See, have you guys seen that? No, I've, they, uh, they discovered yeah. this 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 text that was written over in Chinese or something. So somehow a text written by written written by Archimedes ended up in China, and some Chinese person wrote some stuff on it. Um, and they like shaved off a top layer and found and found this this paper on mathematics done by archimedes where he's estimating um estimating areas under curves and comparing that to to the slopes of a related curve and things like that and i was and and he used he used epsilon he used epsilon deltas um and they not not exactly but he he proved that Given that the difference between the, shapes, yeah he proved that this that this series approximates area. the area uh accurate to within any number you know and so so that did essentially an epsilon delta proof and things like that and and had almost the fundamental theorem of calculus proven um and this is 2000 years before and they only found it a couple of years ago uh, really cool okay so we can just lay this whole debate to rest yes. and say <laughs> they stole it from archimedes <laughs> i think this proves the power of notation if you try to do it archimedes method everything takes you forever but with newton and especially Leibniz <laughs> notation <laughs> you can actually do the math I, I think it has more to do with the fact that uh his shit got taken and written over maybe i mean not so much that his uh... notation is bad it's just that there we are, only found it. I, it's really cool to they, if you go on on Google, the Google Books see. actually has the text. You can see it, uh, mm -hmm. a scanned copy, um, and you can you can see hand drawn diagrams by Archimedes. You can see him drawing this thing and estimating it, you know, and and, and drawing like the the rectangles what under the, the fuck? curve. Didn't he have maple? <laughs> but you can see him at you can see him it's drawing rectangles under the curve to approximate its, so its essentially a Riemann sum yeah, at that yeah, point more or less yeah um it, and and i was just like it's really cool to see you know like the actual handwritten work of someone who was one of the greatest mathematicians of all time working 2500 years ago yeah but, i don't know if you've looked it up i wasn't sure if I thought his work hadn't been completely lost, you know. Maybe people didn't know it was Archimedes, but not I thought that method was that work. 
that I believe, work had, been, had been completely lost. Yeah, maybe that work, but I no, not I, all of his a work. A lot I mean, of Archimedes' work is still there. I mean, he did the water displacement. Yeah, yeah but I what mean, I'm saying is, I thought that that something similar to right. that method, methodology was still around before Newton. And Newton well, kind I, of improved on it. Well, some of it probably was, but I think that the actual like calculus, the part oh. that was close to the fundamental theorem wasn't around anymore yeah like archimedes yeah, maybe not exactly archimedes came did did prove that the derivative of sine is cosine or something like that and he also he also found a way to find the slope at any point on a on any conic section so he found the derivatives of conic sections but but that was it so so those works were still there um but i don't know this was for more arbitrary curves it wasn't completely arbitrary they still came from something or another well i mean the work that archimedes had done in general had always been incredibly physical i mean he was essentially yeah. he was much more of an engineer in many ways than right. he was a mathematician right. he was an incredibly thorough engineer yeah uh yeah so it would make sense that he would only be working with certain curves because he'd be working with the curves that he would tend to run into the most right. often the ones that are useful Okay. Okay. His work was destroyed, though. He left the bathtub on one evening, and and you know, he and got <laughs> and he laid into it, and uh, that's when he figured out the theory of water displacement because he destroyed all of his work. Okay, okay. no, but but uh, <laughs> it was it was in the bathtub that he discovered that he discovered the theory of displacement, right? And and how to solve the king's problem with the well, stolen jewelry. And well, then we, he ran we... naked through the town, <laughs> shouting Eureka. Uh, <laughs> if I, I want to do that, if so anyone bad. actually knows, oh, you, the... you don't need to solve anything to run through. No, the I, I want to make. Some <laughs> we live in discovery. Vegas, dude. <laughs> like I'm going to make some amazing discovery, and then just in my in my joy, tear off all my clothes and run naked through wherever the hell I happen to be. You It'll be such a good officer? day. Could... <laughs> sure dude, uh, I'm Anthony. I'm sorry, but if you switch offices with Nathan, you're just switching from one side no, of your office, office to the other. From Nathan, someone, <laughs> so someone else did did something similar. The guy, the guy that discovered the Epic of Gilgamesh, where Gilgamesh creates the Ark. See, if you know, anyone actually happens Noah's to Ark know by... the Doctor, so we can go back and check any of these stories, that would be cool. Because I mean, these are all. Uh, I mean, yeah, this is all hearsay, but yeah. But uh, from what I understand, I'll preface it with that. Um, the guy that discovered the epic of the the story of Gilgamesh. He did where... not discover the story of Gilgamesh. He, he discovered the clay tablet under oh, the okay. ziggurat. Oh, okay. I thought you meant the guy who wrote it. I thought no, you were saying no, that the no. guy who wrote it had discovered no, it, no, like no, it was no, fucking no. muse coming down into his head. He, and he like, discovered a here a, you go. He discovered a clay tablet that that predates the writing of the Bible by like 400 years and mentions and mentions essentially Noah's Ark, but with Gilgamesh. And he, when he figured this out, he got, became so excited. He just tore off all his clothes in front of his whole team of researchers <laughs> and was just so happy. Uh, it's, it's the freedom. It's the the freedom. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> if General Motors were to start mass-producing arcs, how much would they go for on the market? I mean, if you wanted to buy an arc. So just a second. General Motors. General Motors, let's see, probably about $2.00. Or so, I. <laughs> uh, oh no, no, just sent. They're not as bad off as Ford. So three dollars. <laughs> An arc. If it could, if it could really fit two of every animal, that'd be pretty massive. If it could really fit two of every fucking animal, there's not. Actually, there were nine. There was nine of every it, animal. It could not actually seven, float. Seven, there were seven unclean. Seven clean, two unclean. I thought it was the other way around. Uh, you would need no, seven you want clean more... ones. Seven clean and two unclean. Yeah, you oh. need some clean animals. Well, and but, think yeah. about it. I mean, yeah. this okay. was this was what like 
three, four thousand years ago, something like that. My <laughs> Bible dates are really bad considering that I yeah. Um rough estimate. Anyway. Yeah, somewhere <laughs> around there. Well the earth's only like that was that was a long time before we started killing off huge amounts of animals. So it's not two of every animal that mm -hmm. we know now. It's two of every animal before we started industrialization. So, I, I mean, you also... got fucking dodos mm -hmm. on that thing. And not to mention the <laughs> trillions of undiscovered animals that are in the rainforest and in the Whoa. soil underneath the ocean. And dinosaurs. The chin Oh, that's right. Because dinosaurs were around. They were living with humans yes. because the world is 6,000 years old. Chances are that they didn't count animals the same way we count animals. No, I'm I'm taking this I'm taking this book exactly at its word. It you... says animals now, and as it is said on earth, so it is held in heaven. <laughs> and therefore right. I'm sure they uh, I'm sure they're I'm calling in the dogmatic law at this point. I'm sure their taxonomy was exactly the same as Yes. Ours. Yes, I believe so. Okay. They had and they I also each fifty thousand species of dog group of different species. Yeah, I see. Yeah, I, I wonder. I wonder what heaven's taxonomy is. Um, I wonder if, Dude, if they there's agree vapor, with the same rules. And then there's really hot vapor and slightly cooler vapor. Yeah, that's four different types. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually only three. What's the fourth? All right, I can't count. I Cold told vapor. I'm a mathematician. Cold vapor. <laughs> I what I'm yeah I'm confused too. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but I I like yeah I wonder I wonder if they. I'm sure give... Newton had some sort of idea on this. Yeah, Newton probably knew straight knew, up knew he knew and though. he also knew exactly how many angels could fit on the head of a pin. Dude, I know that. I've been thinking about it's, it. It's six. Oh really? No, it's forty-two. What did you think oh, the question yeah, was? That was? Probably. Well, it's easy to find the, what, you have the density of an angel, you integrate the surface <laughs> area of the needle or head of the needle. and Well, I mean, if angels, we can right? fit 35 well, bits of information on a single electron at this point, I'm, I'm thinking we could fit at least 35 angels on the head of a pin. Well, if you assume an angel has mass, and then it depends on whether you assume What does mass have is... to do? I, I mean, we're talking surface area. The amount of surface area an angel's foot has to take mm -hmm. up on, on a pin. So, how big so is just a second, if an angel has mass, then the Higgs boson really is the God particle. Because God is part of all angels. <laughs> Wait, all one right. of those angels is going to be a check angel, though. Well, <laughs> okay, that's theologically weird. <laughs> just that, what modulo is that? Modulo God. Modulo. Yeah, you're likely to get a lot of stuff when you mod out God. <laughs> okay, so somewhere in here we kind of lost track of where we're supposed to be. What the hell were we supposed to be talking about? Uh, what we're supposed to be talking about is specifically Archimedes asking and nakedness. Asking, oh, I think my second <laughs> is asking Nick to actually say something oh, about that's calculus. That's important. Hmm. How does calculus make you feel? Well, <laughs> in the eighth grade, calculus was the light upon my heavens. And so when I found out that math was my calling. In eighth grade. Eighth grade. Oh my god. What the hell were you doing in eighth <laughs> grade with calculus? Oh, this is a textbook. I didn't know anything in it, but it was it was what told me I had to go math. And then I switched. I'm sorry, stats. That's my thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. We have another statistician he's in no, the he's room. He's no longer obeying his guiding. <clears throat> so yeah. uh, back I'm, in eighth grade. I'm the grade... traitor in this group, by the way. 
back in eighth grade, you were like, man, this Newton guy totally fucking rocks. Didn't actually you? no, my well now we go high school. My high school teacher actually was was very adamant about it, it was Leibniz that, and Newton. Really? Yeah. That is the greatest yeah. high school. Actually, my physics teacher, teacher too. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Physicists almost I, well, always give the credit to Newton. Probably, Newton probably was... your math teacher had a conversation with your physics teacher and, yeah, and won. Expecting some conspiracy. Uh, <laughs> so, if they're at the same high school they pro- and they're in related subjects, they probably had this argument once. Well, the physics guy, he was a big guy, you know, and, and my cop guy, it was just Yeah, but their career. physics and math, it's all about the logic. Yeah. Okay. Apparently not. Was your physics teacher also the phi ed teacher teaching you boxing? <laughs> like, this is what you do when a fucking math person disagrees with you. Fist <laughs> right to the face. Integrate that. <laughs> what is the surface area of my fist times the speed at which it is going? <laughs> Yeah, I'll give you the force calculate the impulse or whatever. What, what's yeah. that called? Impulse. Impulse is yeah. the surface area. Well, well it's a subwarp you could, you could It's, it's uh, newtons divided by surface area or something like that. Yeah, fuck. He gets his own goddamn measurement. Oh yeah. <laughs> There's no Leibniz measure. There's no Leibniz unit. We have to. <laughs> we have to start our own. We must avenge him. We have to avenge Leibniz and come up with a unit for him. Oh. What would it be? Well, yeah. What would Leibniz unit be? Uh, well, why the hell does Newton get, get the measure of force? Shouldn't, shouldn't, F Leibniz, equals MA. shouldn't Leibniz get the Higgs boson in all technicality? I mean, because he was, I mean, he definitely, I mean, his idea of monads. I yeah, mean, let's talk the... about Leibniz monads. Okay, go ahead. I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea what this <laughs> the is. Elements, he wants what are they the they, uh... on it now. Yeah, like you want the, you want a full pieces of paper? Oh no, here is we that go. part of his anatomy or something? It's like the atoms, monads. Uh... It's like the atoms of that's his a gonad, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Mo- monad, monad. Uh, this okay, okay, okay. The atoms. He, did he have like his own his, periodic his metaphysics? Table? They were like the atoms in his metaphysics world. Oh, okay. That's so what they were. They well, were something like that. They were the smallest particle. Or something of, they were I, I un... guess. I don't they didn't have any mass or anything like that or they didn't they did, what, sure did he use calculus physical. to talk it about no, infinitesimal it was it's metaphysics yeah. is this the connection between like the brain and the mind or something or the you know he, the... Well, he compared it. he used it for everything I mean even I think he even went as far as angels and, and God involved in this somehow so but but actually what I want to know is is this this he started uh, what's called optimism or whatever, or isn't it? As a as a, like as a philosophy, I, as a philosophy or a theology. As a philosophy. Was he the guy who was like the best of our worlds? Yes, guy? That, guy. that was him. Yeah, oh, I didn't. So I'm not, I don't quite believe that, that the best of all possible worlds oh, would actualize him. every genuine possibility, and argued in some book with a name I can't pronounce that this best of all possible worlds will contain all possibilities with our finite experience of eternity giving no reason to dispute nature's perfection so he was a string theorist (laughs) have you guys ever read the book i think what how did where did string theory come again Uh, the best of all possible worlds will contain all possibilities oh so string theory the universe is i mean it contains everything this is this reminds me a lot of uh plato's the good well maybe not no, no, I mean, it reminds me of the ontological argument is, is what it is. You know, imagine the perfect world, then the perfect world must all, would be more perfect if it existed. Thus, it must exist because you were, you were already imagining the perfect world. It can't be something more perfect, you know, so it must therefore exist or whatever. 
you know, it kind of reminds me of that. The the best world ever would be more better if <laughs> if it contained well, all possibilities. Yeah, he said something about you know the set the set of the universe exists as a subset of the universe of all possibilities, and I was I found that really curious statement because it's like if it was possible, Without why wouldn't set. it exist? Without using the word set, yeah. Of course, we're assuming here that worlds are orderable. Uh, well, uh, but I mean, we were talking about monads, and obviously I did my <laughs> Wikipedia work on this. So the monads are substantial forms of being with the following properties. They are eternal, indecomposable, individual, subject to their own laws, uninteracting, and each reflecting the entire universe in a pre-established harmony. Monads are centers of force. Substance is force, while matter, space, and motion are merely Sorry. phenomenal. The ontological essence of a monad is its irreducible simplicity. Unlike atoms, monads possess no material or spatial character. So what's the point of them existing? Well, they're, think of them as the driving force of life, essentially. It's, it was his metaphysical answer to what a soul they don't, is made of. They don't of. interact or anything like that. So they don't interact with the physical world, so why do we even pretend they exist? They interact with the physical world, they just don't interact with each other. Oh, oh, is oh, okay. Okay, so it's the it's the the truth, the mm -hmm. unchangeable. It's what it what gives permanent structure to the universe. Yeah, I and mean, the really interesting part about it that I feel is each reflecting the entire universe in a pre-established harmony. And I mean, even in physics we sometimes hear this about the idea of you know, when we finally figure out the truth of whatever, you know, makes up the universe, because we can't fucking figure it out because we keep on getting smaller and smaller, that when we find it, the interactions at that level between those will directly essentially state the interactions everywhere. And there, okay. I mean, there are some physicists that believe this, not all of them, but Our so... Our theory of everything thing? Is yeah, that'll, that'll be, that'll be, uh... Einstein's yeah Einstein's unified theory or something you just have to all you have to do to understand the entire universe is look at this smallest particle it seems rather naive though I mean to Me say too. that you know we do this experiment or we, we write down a theory and it's very beautiful mathematically we test it with some experiments and it you know it's verified at least upon the experiments that we were able to perform but what about the experiments that we haven't done I mean mm -hmm. we in order I mean we, in order to say oh this is the truth we would have to do every single possible experiment and confirm that our theory supports, you know, or agrees with well, all the possible experiments. There's uh, always undecidability too. Yeah. What happens if you later show that your theory is undecidable? It's you can't prove it in either way. Man, that would suck. Uh, but I mean, another idea is that these monads are essentially fractals. Yeah. Because containing. If they reflect the entire universe, that means that there has to be a reflection inside them of the entire universe, which has a reflection inside of it of the entire universe. Uh, so really, we're talking about the little marbles of galaxies and Men in Black. Right. That, that's <laughs> exactly what I was picturing. Um, Except that they're obviously galaxies. not a set because they contain themselves. Once I was talking to some, I was. <laughs> that's talking true. To a, they're a class. Monads yeah, are classes, not sets. Be, they can't be a set. I, I I don't know if this is true. I made it up on the spot just to create an interesting argument with some of my friends. But I claimed that there are roughly as many atoms on Earth as there are stars in the galaxy. I might be way off. And then and then and then I tried to imply that that meant that our our universe, or I mean, as there are stars in the universe, I, I I tried to mean tried to make it sound like that meant uh, our universe has 
uh, or, you know, all these stars come together to become, to become um, another another planet. <laughs> you know, all of all of these stars come together to be atoms inside a much larger <laughs> planet, and that's actually a planet revolving around the sun, which makes up atoms in a in a much bigger planet. So then, but then I thought about it again, and I was like, if you keep going, if you keep going like that, if you keep going like that forever, eventually. You are you're you are actually part of an atom that is part of some man's penis. <laughs> At some well, point, you can go even exist. farther. You on. are a Higgs boson particle. That is that is part of some man's yeah. penis. Yeah, I'm okay so with that. We're all part of a penis. <laughs> it's all thanks to liveness. Uh, so far, I think it only gets up to superclusters, thankfully. So anyway, what I'm getting one at thing is, is penis about envy your, exists about your argument that is obviously fallacious. There's oh, okay. a finite number of atoms on Earth. There's an infinite number of stars. Well, that is more or less completely disagreed upon. I think. I, I think the universe I think is infinite. I would agree. I think that the universe is boundless, and there's no reason to believe it has an end. But I'm fairly sure that most physicists believe the universe is is bounded. Dude, talk to Brian finite... Green, man. Bounded he totally agrees with me. Well, it may be it may be bounded, but the question is, is it compact? Now, I mean, you know, you can make it bounded. You know, it's use the uh, what is that the standard bounded metric thing, but. Are we talking bounded mass-wise or bounded space-wise? Because uh -oh. those are two different questions. Oh, shoot. I yeah, I guess because uh -oh. Oh, bounded yeah. space-wise, you could still have an uh, infinite amount of stars. If there wasn't enough matter. Yeah. Well, yeah, but it, I, I, I always thought that the universe was, that the universe, like, past a certain point, there is nothing. Um, and so they just oh. call that an artificial end to the universe. No, I, the I, universe uh, is I actually tend to agree much more with Brian Green in that... It, the universe is truly boundless in all directions. As a matter of fact, if you go far enough away, you will stumble on something that is identical in everything other than the fact that it is not you. Oh, like the many worlds theory, but yeah, instead it's the embedded in the entire, okay, I mean, the yeah. entire universe well, is so large that if you go far enough, you'll find a galaxy. Everything looks... is infinitely likely, including a duplicate of yourself. And I guess, well, shit. the problem the I, problem with that though is is you know there are infinitely many numbers in the sequence one uh one half one third you know one over n dot 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 and so you can keep going and going and going indefinitely but it never loops so just because something goes indefinitely doesn't mean you ever have to repeat yeah but see the the thing with the mm. I mean the thing at least because uh, it was on a there's an episode that Robert Crowich uh, on Radiolab did it uh, with Brian Green, the guy who wrote The Elegant Universe. Yeah. Uh, it was an interview at the 92nd Street Y in New York that Robert Crowich did. And uh, he was talking with Brian Green. Brian Green was talking about this. And essentially the statement he made is that you have to figure out the things that are possible. Now, obviously, we exist. So we are possible. We know that we are possible. So therefore, the probability that there is another one of us is actually pretty good if you subscribe to the mini worlds theory. Because since we are possible, we are one of a small amount of things that can actually happen. And so therefore, it's very likely that there would contain duplicates if you subscribe to the mini worlds theory. So, so you're saying that the universe, you know, is just a, a bunch of stuff and the behavior of the stuff is pretty much the same no matter where you are, but it's random, you know, within the confines or bounds of physical laws. 
So given that you have a very large number of particles in the universe, there's a non-zero probability that there is a galaxy somewhere that is essentially identical. Well, ident essentially identical to the Milky Way, uh, containing a solar system that is essentially identical the, to Sol. The the problem with the problem oh. with this I see is that you seem to be claiming that there are a finite set of possibilities. No, there's just a there should be a finite amount of matter within any localized space, and so there should be a finite configuration of atoms well i don't see why there should be i mean if the if the if the universe is also infinitely divisible then there are yeah. uncountably many rearrangements yeah and also the arrow will never actually hit you because it will take forever to get to you uh, okay i see what you're saying but no what i'm what i'm saying is is there are uncountably many potentially uncountably many much larger than than omega many um uh, configurations of particles but it's so if all you go it's all out, bound by you, the physical laws right right but in the physical even the even bounded by the physical laws they don't they don't seem to restrict position of a particle so you could have you could you could have just a single particle in a universe or two particles and the only the only measurable thing then would be their distance it's the only measurable thing in the universe and still you could keep going and find a duplicate of these two particles but they'd be in a different com a different uh, a different uh, distance away from each other every single time even if you keep going infinitely out and that's with just two particles you can very easily do this well there's one issue though i mean if you have a, a universe that only has two particles i mean here we're we're going to have to enter the you know the quantum realm and uh, in, including uh, information um well i guess what i'm saying is if we have a, a universe that only consists of two particles the whole concept of distance you know is a human term uh, based on our experience our structure as humans so when we talk about measurements we're storing that information in our memories but in a two particle universe where are you going to write down or store the distance between yeah, the particles okay um, so they'd be they'd be isomorphic in well, some way not not because... only that since we're talking about distance that's an idea that's in topology which is actually something else that Leibniz may have helped create. Uh, going back, of course, to the things that I have found on Wikipedia and my gigantic stack of papers. Oh, Wikipedia. That is the oh, Wikipedia, Wikipedia, which has been referenced many times. I wonder if you can get uh, a PhD by sourcing that. I, I, would certainly, I would certainly hope so. With a lowercase p, though. Lowercase PhD. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I, it's, it, there's uh, a quote of Mandelbrot which states, to sample Leibniz's scientific works is a sobering experience. Next to calculus and to other thoughts that have been carried out to completion, the number and variety of premonitory thrusts is overwhelming. We saw examples in packing. My Leibniz mania is further reinforced by the fact that for one moment, its hero attached importance to geometric scaling. An attempt to, he had an attempt to tighten Euclid's axioms, and it says, I have diverse definitions the straight line. The straight line is a curve, any part of which is similar to its whole, and this and it alone has this property. Not only among oh, wow. curves, but among sets. Jeez. That is what Leibniz. That's a quote from Leibniz. That is kick ass. Only that it's self-similar everywhere. That is what a straight line is. <laughs> that gives you spherical geometry, and that gives you hyperbolic geometry. And um, uh, it also gives you the idea of, of being able to form distance and things like that. Uh, this, the fractal geometry promoted by Mandelbrot drew on Leibniz's notions of self-similarity and the principle of continuity. Um, as for packing, uh, there's something. Uh, 
Leibniz told a friend to imagine a circle, then to inscribe within it three congruent circles with maximum, maximum radius. The latter smaller circles could be filled with three even smaller circles by the same procedure. This process can be continued infinitely from which arises a good idea of self-similarity, which is an improvement of Euclid's axioms containing the same concept. What's the symmetry group that would describe that type of geometry, like that fractal that you, you described? Um, more? If you're, if you're, what do, what do you mean? How many, how many ways can you flip and rotate the guy? Um, maybe only, there could be no symmetry on the whole thing. Uh, I mean, I mean, it under just, under just translations, rotations, and, and reflections, it might have zero symmetry if the, if the three circles are of different, I mean, if they're of equal maximum radius, then, then, uh, there's at least some. There's 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 three reflections. There's it essentially be a triangle. I think the the symmetries of a triangle. You could do rescaling probably. That would be another one. You know, you oh, rescaling. Uh, I don't know. Project. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I've seen that picture though. Uh, one one thing that's interesting about it is a after you carry it out infinitely, if you pick any point that is on the edge of a circle and draw a little circle containing that point, that circle, that, that little circle, no matter how little you've drawn it, contains within it infinitely many full circles are drawn inside it because, because you, end up, you end up approaching approaching edges from every direction and from every direction branching out. Um, and you can prove that there are only countably many circles, but it's so weird that it's, it's, a, it's dense, it's dense everywhere. I don't know. It's it's uh, it's very it's very interesting. And uh, so I I have one other thing that goes along with my absolute love of Leibniz. He was actually the first information scientist as well. He actually uh, almost managed to create uh, the first mechanical computer. Well before Babbage and Lovelace got their hands on the whole idea, he called it the stepped reckoning reckoner. I mean, it was it was an idea to, uh, of a. That's a pretty sweet name. Yeah, Steph Reckoner. I mean, it's, it's like, like a wrestler. Man, it, it sounds like a fucking car on twisted metal. Like man, oh, that thing's man. gonna come I over. Oh man, that yeah. game. Yeah. That was a that was a solid game. You could blow up. You could blow up the Statue of Liberty, and then it was a woman in a bikini. Oh God bless the French. And she was and she was French. That's and she was black. Was was she black? Yeah, the model, the model oh. that was uh, the... fantastic. Yeah. Oh, cool. I, I couldn't, I didn't remember. This. Uh, we still had yeah. slaves at that point, though. Hence, why we made the model. Uh, oh, oh, the model for the actual Statue of Liberty. I was thought, I thought that in the uh, Twisted Metal game, the bikini woman was, <laughs> was black. The real Statue like... of Liberty doesn't matter. Twisted Metal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, okay. I, he, I... his idea was to. Uh, make this uh actually do the you know the regular arithmetic steps you know your addition subtraction multiplication and division and he almost got it finished but there was uh some problems with it uh he wasn't able mainly to mechanize the operation of carrying i mean the idea of carrying okay. a digit you know when say oh, you're adding oh, oh. Oh well, that's that's the problem. What 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 they've done with regular computers is 
is uh, completely after a certain point, it just frowns. I mean, it, it disappears. If you go beyond your register, it, it mods out. Well, actually, uh, uh, it's a little bit different than that. We were talking about that in uh, Finite State Automata. Uh -huh. What you do is you actually add from the uh, left to the right. Uh, yeah. Oh. And you do it uh, be uh, in a tree structure that actually allows you to be able to continue up and what you do is you end up uh, multiplying one side by 10 every single time. One side, the left side of the tree by 10 whenever you add the thing on the right to it and you do it digit by digit. And you eventually get the right thing. At least that's how you do it symbolically. Okay. Huh. Yeah, but so, so I mean, he seemed to come across this, the same weird problems that we did. Yeah, I and mean, when we uh, first started, that was it took a long time before we could really figure out how to properly get something to do that. I think Babbage, Babbage had a problem with caring too, didn't he? I don't know. Well, I mean, I, he never really finished the difference engine anyway. So, And plus, honestly, difference engine versus stepped Reckoner. <laughs> Reckoner. Reckoner. I mean, Reckoner. 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 <laughs> stepped Reckoner versus difference engine. I, honestly, which one would you stepped prefer Reckoner. to use? Like, like, if you wanted to tell, you know, your you know girlfriend gay lover whoever you happen to be living with at any given point in time that you had just made this big purchase and it's going to be something that they're not really going to understand because honestly we don't have computers these things are all cogs and gears and you you have to tell like that you bought this thing would you rather like go home and say you know what honey i just bought us a difference engine or hey honey I just bought us the stepped reckoner. One has pictures of like a horseless wagon just without an engine or wheel sitting on your front lawn. <laughs> and the other one's a weapon of mass destruction. <laughs> weapon of mass destruction. Yeah, yeah, weapon of mass destruction. I for some odd reason in my head, this thing is a trebuchet that like adds numbers by smashing pumpkins, pumpkins together. <laughs> like throwing pumpkins Damn, really far. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's two trebuchets. They smash pumpkins together and they land in a pattern. Uh, yeah, always a always a very to... nice nice additive pattern. Yeah. Yeah. they have to hit each other in the air. That takes some skill. With... Well, come on, it's being it's, it's being done by the guy who actually invented calculus. Effort win the, the field's medal. I'm using the money reckoner. to build the step reckoner. <laughs> I, if I win the field's medal, I will build the step reckoner. Well, how much money does is the, there field's for the field's medal come with money? Oh yeah, Better. The field's medal. <laughs> Fields Metal definitely comes with money. If you guys keep talking, I will tell you exactly how much. I thought it was much. kind of a pathetic amount. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I know that. Oh no, no, it was a large amount because I remember it was, it was that was that was more surprising to me when the Russian turned down the Fields Medal than anything else. Oh, no, no, he turned down the Russia, million though. dollars for the. Oh yeah, yeah, that was, that's that's that right. The... He turned down the million dollars for the Millennium Prize. Yeah, it was money. Um, he didn't turn them down. What? It, there's a couple more things you have to do before they'll give it to you. You know, and he just never made any attempts to to do the rest of what he needed to obtain the Millennium Prize. Well, the uh, Abel Prize comes with that's uh, a million. What? That was a million last I checked. No, it's fifteen thousand dollars. The Nobel Prize? The, uh, oh no, no, that Abel. Oh. Abel. Really? I thought Abel, that was with some thought, actual money. Uh, I'll look again, but it looks like Fields Medal is. Yeah, it's like thirteen thousand four hundred. Yeah, it's yeah. not, not going to build anything. The, yeah. <laughs> no, come on, it can build a stepped reckoner. You just win the, really? win the Nobel Prize sure somehow. Find a way to find a way to get that one, then you can build a stepped reckoner. I think you actually have to do something. I mean, I mean, I mean something that's not math. 
or, or something. In yeah, it has to, to it has mm -hmm. to apply to some other field in some yeah, A lot of cool people way. get stuff in economics because a lot of math yeah eventually gets to economics. Yeah, they're just pimping math, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Economists are our pimps. Yeah, I could have done without that imagery. <laughs> I'm gonna have to yeah, point I, my head away whenever I see an economist. That, from now on. Where's my the, theorem, bitch? <laughs> <laughs> the two the 2003 Abel Prize was 1.3 million. See, that's oh, what yeah. I thought. Okay, that's what okay. I yeah, so, so win is... the Abel Prize and yeah. Bill, the how many is, is that? Is how often is that given? I think it was once every year. Yeah, I think so. Because they wanted to make it. Uh, mathematicians were kind of getting pissed off that they weren't getting any Nobel Prizes. and so. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> by the way, can we go back and take away all the Nobel Prizes for the economists for like the last nine years? Yeah. Please. <laughs> because they've all been wrong. Starting like really wrong. Nash? And, and yeah. they all got a shitload of money for winning those fucking Nobel Prizes. Maybe not take back the prize, but force them to invest all of that money into something that will actually help the uh, economy that they put us into. Oh, I don't know yeah, if it was the coach. Nobel Prize winners that that. Well, okay, uh, everyone but the micropayment dude, the micro right. loan guy was awesome, yeah. but Maybe the rest of those years. assholes. Yeah, there were a lot. I of thought people. the micro loan guy got a Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah. No. Oh, he he got a Nobel economics. I thought prize. he got the peace prize. He may have gotten the peace prize too, but he definitely got the prize uh, for economics. This is this is the guy. He's he where he's in like Israel or something. India, I think. India, India. yeah, it's India? definitely India. Okay. Yeah, and it was right. the Nobel Prize for. And it's it's one economics. of the only banks in the United States that is being pro that is profitable right now. That's so well, cool. micro micro loans work. Yeah. I mean, they really yeah. do. I mean, I, I, I've as soon as I actually have enough money. That I can afford to, you know, put a thousand dollars or so into microloans. I'll totally do it. I'll put it in. Their repayment rate on microloans, like the websites that do microloans, like forty percent higher right now than mortgages. Well, that's not too hard are... considering that nobody pays back the mortgage. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean yeah, they. I think they have like a. It's somewhere in the '90s repayment rate. Which, I mean, is better than mortgages were a few years ago. Yeah, even before. Yeah, even before the housing crash. I mean, the microloans were getting repaid at very high percentages. And most people, once they put, you know, because honestly, a lot of people can afford to part with a couple thousand dollars in the end. And they'll do it if they think that, you know, some good will come out of it. And so when they put this money in, they almost never take it back out. They'll put it in. That person will pay it back. It just stays in the system and immediately goes to help somebody else. So this $1,000 or $2,000 that you're putting into this microloan is helping untold amounts of people. I mean, because one, you're helping wherever this person is setting up the business, farm, whatever they're using right. the money for. And so you're helping that entire area. And then it goes out and it helps a completely other area. And because I, right. think, I, I mean, think a lot of people... That's why I think he got the... I thought he got the peace no, prize. No, this was this was definitely an economics prize because uh, it was before it really caught on. Okay, because because I remember that it, it, that he set it up in a way that it really helped it really helped the lower class of India um, actually actually start and rise up. It gave them it gave them a foothold to start doing yeah. well. And so I thought that that I I mean I could see either prize, but I'll I'll believe you. Yeah, well I I remember hearing it on NPR back in like because it happened like oh five oh six somewhere in there. And I just I remember hearing about maybe, it. Like, maybe that he is... got a second Nobel Prize. <laughs> Has yeah. anyone ever gotten two? Oh, yeah, plenty. Yeah, many. Uh, oh. Well, I wouldn't say plenty, but there's. 
I didn't know. I thought there's maybe there was a clause in the Nobel thing that no one person can receive to. There's a good That'd handful be. of them. Huh. Um, I can't remember all their names right now. Jimmy though. Carter might have gotten like two Nobel Peace Prizes or something. Hmm. Yeah, one for the Camp David Accord and then another one for oh, the Camp David Accord. Humanity. Oh, oh, that's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for, for a man who honestly, I, mean, I, I really like Jimmy Carter, but he was not a very effectual president. He was too much of a micromanager. Uh, he has been the most effective uh, after president president yeah. ever. I mean, I the amount of work that Bill, that man has Bill done. Bill might come close before no, he goes. He he will come He's nowhere got near. He's such a huge, uh, such a huge, um, whatever. Slightly hell, corrupt charity. Yeah, <laughs> slightly corrupt. That's true. That's true. I mean, I, I like Clinton. Don't get me wrong. The man has his priorities straight. <laughs> but his charity not not quite up to the level of Habitat for Humanity mm. or the work that, say, Carter did in Cuba or the work that he's done at Camp David, or the work that he's done in the Middle East, or the work that he's done in Africa, or the work that he's done in yeah. Asia. So I guess we'll have to rest our hopes in George W. Bush in his post-presidency. <laughs> Silence. Anyway, I actually like George W. Bush, but I don't know if he'll become popular within the... I, George W. He, Bush I will go down... I the book, though, because I want to read his book. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I would he love will to release. He will release a book, not a single word of which is written by him. Well, hmm. yeah. Neither it, will the pictures be, you know, the pop-up book be painted by him. So I mean, yeah. <laughs> paint by numbers. Uh, no, I, I, I'm willing to go on record. No, I, I'm going to try to steer away from actual political commentary on this. <laughs> uh, political. So, uh, speaking of political stuff, though, Newton was a political figure. Hmm. I mean, because he he took over as the. Uh, as the head of the mint of the English mint. And uh, there was uh when he took over, he estimated about 20% of, you know, the pound sterling or whatever was out at that point, the coin of the realm was counterfeit when he took over. And he actually went out in disguises into these shit ass, like taverns and pubs in England and sat there and did his own investigation and caught them. And they were were they guilty or were yeah no no I mean he it, I mean it definitely appears he found counterfeiters yeah through his own undercover investigation <laughs> that is awesome that okay there it is a point Newton on Newton Pia. I was about yeah. I was about to say <laughs> I was about to say we have not given Newton enough like you know we've only bashed him and only been pro Newton but this this is a point in Newton's favor and also period. he moved he moved England to the gold standard. Uh, well, from the from the silver standard while he was uh, treasurer or head of the mint or whatever his position was. Hmm. And uh, he probably died through, uh, you know, self-medication. Uh, uh, he dosed himself quite commonly with uh, quicksilver. Or, uh, what the hell it, does quicksilver do for you? It People kills do. you. It's well, mercury. Uh... <laughs> you get heavy metal poisoning. There was an episode yeah, I, I, of Eleventh no, no, no. Hour on it last no, but, night. But, but what the hell does it? What the hell does it? Back then, they it... thought that mercury did all kinds of was a remedy for all kinds of things. Yeah, I guess when something's that heavy, you, 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 and it's metal, and it still is like swallowable, you, I you tend to think it could do something. Does anyone know what they actually thought it did? I don't know. Give him superpowers? <laughs> I read, but I can't remember. Yeah, and that's also, I mean, a lot of the 
a lot of the information I actually know about this uh, it comes from a series of books, the first of one which is actually titled Quicksilver. Okay. The Broke Cycle by Stevenson. It's yeah. actually, it took place during this. And I thoroughly suggest it as a read. And also, as uh, Newton did, don't do, don't drink any Quicksilver out there, people. Don't drink any Mercury. But do touch it. go to combinationsandpermutations.blogspot.com. Check out our show notes for this week and previous weeks. You can listen to the episodes there. Find links to all of our episodes on our website. And please leave us a comment or email us at combinations and permutations at gmail.com hope you all have a great week well that's it for another episode of combinations and permutations if you want to get a hold of us please email us at combinations and permutations at gmail.com also check out our blog at combinations and permutations.blogspot.com this episode has been licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Share-Alike license. All the music that you've heard on this podcast is from SP12. If you like what you hear, go check them out at opsound.org. Thank you for listening.